Hello and welcome to Game of Moans, the podcast where we're looking back at every episode of Game of Thrones one at a time. I am Chris Bolton, with me as always the mountain Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. Uh, And we are on season two, episode three, what is dead may never die. Speaking of dead things, just fair warning, Mark and I both feel like death warmed up this evening. So <laughs> apologies if our voices sounded a bit hoarse. Um, apologies if we may even be a bit quieter than usual. Yeah, I'll fix that in post. It's fine. Um, more apologies that fact we might be a little bit briefer than usual and that we probably won't swear as much. Uh, yeah, we'll see how we go, guys. Um, but we both feel like absolute shit. So Yeah, I, I did want to say probably, just to qualify that. Let's see how yeah. this goes. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. Cough straight away there. Um, so, yeah, season two, episode three. Um, straight away, this is probably the best opening I think we've had since the season opener. Like, no messing yeah. around, straight into the action. Good, solid opening. We're coming in the middle of a scene. Um, this is promising stuff. Really good, confident opening. It is. Um- yeah, I like this, and I think that uh, we talked about the uh, the season opener where again we started in the middle of a fight, mm-hmm. um, which was it was it was a good scene, but it just didn't seem to belong there. This kind of felt like because because obviously we had the end of last week's episode where um, Craster caught John um, spying on him in the woods effectively, and um, and and uh, and attacked him. This is just a continuation of that where John's at his ass, Kate, he's bleeding from multiple places in his face and he's dragged back into uh, Craster's barn and off we go and yeah I quite liked this I thought it was um, I thought it was a really interesting uh, way to start I think it was a far more um, a far more a far bolder a far more aggressive way to start um, than some of the episodes we've had yeah just far more interesting I mean one of the first rules of scene structure really is you never start at the start of a scene so here we go straight in at crisis point um, yeah um, interestingly um, this is the first one of the season not written by the showrunners can you tell? Now, yeah, more on that as we go through, um, but not to bury the lead then, um, just to give you an idea, I have got uh, this week almost three pages of notes. I don't know if we'll get Blimey. through them all. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> we'll try. Uh, yeah, it's just the, the gist of it. Um, I've written in, in my summation, this is the best written episode, in my opinion, that we've had since Jane Spenson took the yeah. keyboard uh, last season. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. It's really well-written, confident stuff. It is marred by some very, very poor photography um, and some yes. very, very poor visual storytelling at times. Um, but in general, the writing here is superb. Uh, and we, we'll get onto it as we move through the episode. But yeah, by far and away... I think the best the show's been since what was it, episode five, episode six of last episode season? Episode six. Yeah. Um I was very impressed by this episode. Um mm. anyway, that yeah, more as we work through it. Um Yeah, yeah, just to, to start with, you know, this scene is good anyway, but then we learn that John has now seen a White Walker. Um, so yeah. here we go. Although he doesn't quite know what it is. No. He just I mean obviously he's he knows it's something that's sort of not uh, not quite normal, not quite right. He doesn't quite know what it is, um, and I, I like. To, I mean, it's whether you take this as one or two scenes. Obviously, you've got the first scene where Craster um, drags him into the barn. Yeah, so Craster drags him into the barn, and kicks them all out, saying, "You're all going." I caught this bastard waiting, poking his nose where he shouldn't, um, and then um, Mormon kicks him out. 
and then you go, you go to the next scene where John is trying to explain to Mormon what he's seen and why he couldn't leave things alone, which again, it's a very nice character point. We see that John's character, so he's still remaining fairly steadfast. He's still looking at what's right, what's moral, what's good. Um, he's not looking at shades of grey. He's, he's murdering his babies, he's murdering his sons. And we find out that actually Mormon knows. And it's the first point where John has any sort of crisis of faith, I think. I think every time he's had something, any sort of decision to make in the past, he's always been very resolute that this is right. I've got no, I'm, I'm, no, my moral compass is pointing true north. This is what I have to do. And all of a sudden he realizes that somebody he looks up to, somebody he's, he respects, that he likes, he had, you know, he felt he had a family and a proper father who was guiding him properly. And he finds out that actually he's not whiter than white either. And um, all credit to Kit Harrington, the look on his face when he, f- he realizes that, so that that penny drops, the light bulb comes on, that Mormont knows exactly what Craster's doing, and mm. he hasn't stopped it for it for what you would perceive to be a greater good, um, is absolutely priceless. And I think all fairness to um, Kit Harrington and to um, Alex Sakharov, who directed the episode, I think this scene is absolutely spot on. I think they've done it really, really well. Yeah, it is an excellent scene, and there are many excellent scenes. Uh, and when I when I laid blame at photography earlier on, um, that is because there were several times throughout watching this episode where a few things rubbed up against me. Um, mm. And originally, I was laying the blame squarely at the director. Uh, but then stepping back and looking at the episode in a wider context, and, and I think this is true of, of a lot of criticism, too often blame is handed off to a director without people mm. fully understanding what a director does. And a director does not necessarily frame every shot and choose where the yeah. camera is going to be every frame. Um, a lot of that will come down to the DOP. The director is going to be more concentrating on making sure the tone and the narrative are correct and making sure there's a through line with the actors, or at least, in my opinion, good directors do. Um, yeah. Some lesser directors will concentrate on the minutiae of what's in the frame. <coughs> Zack Snyder. <coughs> Um, excuse me, that cough's really fucking bad this evening. Um, yeah, it's, it's 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 really vivid as well. Yeah, yeah, odd that. Um, but yeah, originally I think I I was unfairly blaming the director here, and as I moved through the show, um, I started to realise that actually it was the compositions in a lot of these scenes that I don't like, uh, and there's only a certain amount of that that can be apportioned to the director. Whereas across the board, I think the performances in this episode are are solid um, and bordering on excellent in many cases like in this one and the writing is certainly better than normal as well so yeah I I don't think too much of the blame can be portioned to the director there of course ultimately he is the one calling the shots and he could have corrected course uh, and didn't Um, but you know that's like blaming the captain for a sinking ship you know, yeah, that's right. It's not necessarily his fault. He didn't drive the Titanic into the iceberg. Um, so, anyway, that's all a long-winded rant for me. But uh, <laughs> it's not the first or the last time I'll whinge about the DOPs on this show either. So, no, that's right. And yeah, there's going to there's be a lot of that, especially when we get further into the show as well. Uh, hell yes. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, interestingly as well. I mean, just talking about so the um, so the way you sort of apportion praise and blame in, in this. I mean, I we talk, we've talked before about how overcrowded some of these episodes seem mm-hmm. um, because we 
we always feel the need to jump back and forth to Daenerys and to Rob and to the Lannisters and the Starks and the Great and everybody else in between. And this is one of the, one of those episodes where they don't do that, where you've got a different a different handle on the tiller, and they were right. Well, this is the story we're telling this week. We don't need to necessarily see a lot of Rob. We don't need to see Jamie. We don't need to see Daenerys because nothing's changed in their world since since the last episode. We can focus on other parts of the story, which we can use to then progress and use that later on. And it's it, it's a it's a really nice story. I think I, I think most of the credit goes to the writer for that. Um, but again, just in, in terms of the over, the overarching story, I think there's something to be said for that, whereby every now and again where we get these over, overcrowded episodes like the last one um, to come into this where they're going, oh, well, we'll just fuck that story off. We'll just fuck that one off. We don't need that one. We'll leave that for this week yeah. and no, nobody give a shit anyway. And that's one of the things that really helps this episode because we get to spend a bit, little bit longer, especially if we're introducing new characters. We've introduced um, Marjorie. We've introduced, we introduced Brienne. So all, all of a sudden we've got time to do that. We're not trying to fit in another whistle-stop tour of everything that happened in season one. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think obviously just like any other show this would have been plotted out in a writer's room but i think there's certainly an element when the showrunners are also writing um in this show uh, they're playing with all the toys and it's very much the george lucas effect there is nobody going hold on a minute guys you shouldn't be doing that um yeah because, have, have you thought about doing this instead yeah, because they are producing and writing and just essentially pulling all of the strings whereas here We've got a guy doing a job, and you know, as it transpires, this guy is a producer as well. As as the show goes on, he does produce episodes, and he is credited. I don't think he has up until he this point. Here, he? No, but he, he does eventually get credited. Um, but you know, at this point, he's here to do a job, and so he's not necessarily interested in what's going on on the other side of the map. Um, he's here to tell his story and he focuses on yeah. his characters and he's not worried about playing with all of the toys. Um, he's just yeah. playing with the ones that he needs to tell his story and he does it, I think, very well. Um, so, yeah, sort of moving through, we, we, we move from this scene with John to um, Sam kind of tying up what he thinks is going to be his loose ends with Gilly because they're moving on and fuck yeah. me comes on strong. Um, he's known her for what two or he's, three days, and he's given her his mother's yeah. thimble. Like he's 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 a fat kid in a buffet, though, isn't he? Yeah, it's like oh, this this girl's paying he's, attention. I've never to seen. Me. I've I never love her. Yeah, I've I've never seen a woman up close before, apart from my mother. She must be perfect. She must be the one. Therefore, I'm going to give her no, the the only thing that has any sentimental value to me. Fuck it, have it. Here we go. And then he al- he almost rescues it with the, the la- with his last line. Yeah. Yeah, I think he almost, almost gets away with it, but I think yeah. he's because because he's it's so heavy-handed. He's so um, so enthusiastic, and then his last line: oh, "I'm not giving to you. You can, you know, I want you to keep it safe until I come yeah. back." Almost gets away with it. I almost felt quite you no know, quite keen from at that point. Go, yeah, get in. And know when you get back, that'll be really good for you. And you know, that's that stands you in good stead. But yeah, up until that point, it was a little bit creepy. Yeah, I agree. I felt exactly the same. Once he, once we got to that line at the end and it became this thing about, oh, he's going off to war and she's sort of going to be his yeah. war wife now and hold on to it. That was that was quite sweet. They did swing it back around in the end. And again, credit there to the writer um, for actually mm. tying that scene up nicely and putting a bow on it. I didn't see where it was going. Um, no. But he swung it back around and rescued it. And, and you know, to be fair, it came through in the performances as well. Because they are, as we said last was, week, they are both very sweet. Um, I was going to say, fair play to um, to John Bradley and to Hannah Murray. They, they pulled that scene off very well because that had the potential to be so cheesy. Yes. Um, and they did it very well. 
Speaking of cheesy things that are done well, um, one of the few times I will credit the camera department here. Um, we move on to, uh, well, it's essentially evil cam, yeah. but it's wolf cam here. <laughs> for the And, and it, it took me a second or two to work out what the fuck was going on because originally, yeah. you know, you're down low and you just see Hodor smiling and greeting the wolf, yes. uh, which was which was cute as hell and hilarious. Um, yeah, and then yeah, of course. It, yeah, I, I didn't quite get what was no, going on. No, it took it took me a second or so, and then of course it, it that might have been the cough transpires that that um, the brand is is walking into the wolf. Um, so that all very very well handled, and again the potential to have gone very wrong. Evil Cam is one of yeah. those things that uh, can be overused and can be used in the wrong situations just to be showy. And it can look very, yes. very cheesy when it's done badly. But they do none of that here. It's, it's handled quite well. In fact, the few times that we have seen it in the show, it's always been handled quite well. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I like that. Um, no other real purpose to this scene other than to establish that the brand is warging. Um, yeah. More important. And I think it's... As I say, I think it's useful though because I mean we 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 still don't really know what's going on with Bran and I mean Bran's major um, contribution to the show up until this point has been thrown out of a window. Yeah. So I mean it's obviously the fact you know the fact that he survived means there's going to be some sort of plan for him. They're not just going to keep you know, keep him around to you know, poke fun at the fact he's crippled. So there's obviously something going to happen. So I think that the fact they're seeding it quite well is 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 a good thing and it's it's something that when we talked about this before. When the show does it, it, when it when it tries, it does it really well. And other times, it just kind of smashes you over the head with it. And I think that because they don't go out of their way to explain it straight away, and actually, I mean, in the next scene with Master Lewin, they actually go out of their way to try and dismiss it. I think it's a really interesting uh, way of taking it forward. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's handled very well. Um, so yeah, we get the scene with, with the Meister as well. As I say, it doesn't really add much um, other than to establish this, um, as you said. So. Yeah, and, and again, I, mean, I think it, it, it ties in as well where we've had other scenes with it, the Lannisters where they're talking about where anybody talks about things north of the wall and it's all you no know, snooks and snarks and yes. grumpkins and whatever Teddy Ruxpin, whatever the fuck it was. You know, it's 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 instantly dismissed as you no know, childish lore, and this seems the same. Old Nanny's yeah. telling me stories. stories yeah, that's exactly what they were things, doing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's obviously well, it, it's setting up for something because obviously we've you no know, we've seen the blood magic, we've seen the dragons, all this sort of stuff. Um, so you no, know, as as a viewer, we know that's there. But it's just a nice bit of a nice bit of seeding whereby because it's constantly being dismissed, you think, right, okay, well something's gonna happen with this and you're gonna be constantly watching out for it. And I think that I think this one of the, one of the times they've done it particularly well. Yes. Yeah, I'd agree. Um and so then then we sort of move about again. Um as I said, we don't jump about too through too many characters in this episode, but early on we're kind of Again, um, the writer is setting up his arcs for the episode here. Like the characters that we yeah. stick with all have a beginning, a middle, and an end in this episode. Um, and so yes. we kind of move over and, and we're back with Iron Fist for the first time since, I think, season one. Um, and Iron yes. Fist is resoundly getting his ass kicked um, yes, by is. what appears to be a very large man. Um, yeah. And then we get the reveal of of two characters that I absolutely love. Uh, we meet both Marjorie yes. and Brienne here. Um, yeah, um, yeah. And as a, I mean, I was quite happy. I mean, it's I, I again. I thought that Marjorie came into this a little later. I, I hadn't realised quite how early she came into the into the show. Yeah, nor had I. I knew she was in the early seasons a lot, um, but I think because we haven't seen her for a little while um certainly towards the end of the show um and 
you know, early on, um, we, we haven't seen her in season one, kind of, I knew she was coming, but I kind of forgot she was there, if that makes sense, which is ludicrous because, um, I, you know, and, and I have written uh, when I'm talking about her later on, you know, as, as far as the power crazed hungry women go in this show, she is my absolute favorite. Um, so I was quite, I was very pleased to see her this early on. Um, I just wasn't expecting it. Um, so when she showed up, it instantly lifted the episode. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the problem I have is that my timeline's a little bit skewed because I watched the first four seasons at the same time. I watched them all together. Um, consecutively, obviously, not just you know, watch one from season one, but from season four. And I actually did it you know, in a bit of an order. I did it in order. But because I find it very difficult to differentiate between seasons one, two, and three. I find a lot of the... So a lot of the introductions and the plot points come at the same sort of time in my memory i can't really work out where you know, where one thing happens apart from you know, like sherlock stark and his head cut off and stuff like that which is pivotal yeah. i don't really remember whether i didn't remember the first time we saw brienne brienne i knew it was round about now i didn't realize it was this episode i thought marjorie came round about the end of the season so i thought there was a bit more a bit that bit more sort of gap in there um but yeah i thought um i thought this was a, a good scene again it, it kind of mirrored um the scene we had with joffrey at the start of the yes. season whereby Again, we have a, a, a relatively inept king who's just you know, kind of getting get enjoyment of, of the situation. And um, whereas we said Sansa was was trying to be a bit more political to save her own ass, Marjorie's actually trying to sort of steer it, steer Renly in a direction and be a bit more political and a bit more savvy about things because she wants to be queen. Yes. So she's kind of driving him in a particular way. Uh, and we'll get to that again later on um, in the episode. But I think it was, it was a nice bit of mirroring whereby, again, you had another entirely pointless fight. Um I mean, no, you could, I know you used to introduce Brienne, but you could have introduced her in any number of ways. Um, but to do it this way, it's just, it's, it's a nice, it was a nice mirror for that scene, but handled a lot better. Yeah, I think. and again, it sort of plays into these arcs slightly for the rest of the episode because we get to understand why Iron Fist is having a sulk, which will, of course, ultimately yeah. play into the stuff with Marjorie as well. Um, so it yes. it's, it's all serves a purpose. It all means something. So it's it's yeah. all good as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then of course the scene gets rounded off by the entrance of Cat, um, and she yes. comes in and instantly dresses down Iron Fist, which is hilarious. Um, and yes. she absolutely does it in true matriarch style. Just essentially go away, little boy. Who do you think you're talking to? Yeah, fuck. Yeah, fuck off and let the yeah, grown-ups talk. She's great. Uh, I absolutely love her in this scene uh, to the point where there is a line here, which is bold um because it again had the potential to go very very wrong i suspect it's lifted mm. from the book but i don't know probably um, it had the potential to drop like an anvil um but somehow she pulls it off the writer put it in there and she's just lifted it off the page and she utters the line they are the nights of summer and winter is coming yes i thought that was absolutely beautiful Absolutely, yeah. It so she manages to make it poetic, yeah. Whereas it could have just hit the floor with a resounding thud. Yeah. That really could have been some absolute dialogue. Um, but she makes it work. It was a big gamble for the writer, I think, to throw it in there. You're putting a lot on an actor to deliver a line like that. Um, um, again, I think you, I think with Michelle um, you know what you're getting them. I think yeah. that by this by this stage, we we know that she's got a very good handle on the character. Um, and that she okay, we've said that generally the stuff she does without you know, away from the family is a bit ropier than normal. I think in this episode, I don't think that's the case. I think she knows she's away from she's away from rope. She's away from she's absolutely she absolutely nails it. And yeah. um, there's this scene, and then um, I, I 
don't know if it runs straight on or if it's a little bit later on, where she's walking with Brienne and they're having a conversation. Again, that just the two of them and the back and forth is absolutely flawless. And I think that again had the potential to be to just land on its ass. And I think it didn't. And I think a lot of that's down to the performances. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it it's just such a such a sort of flouncy line that is so florid that it, it could have gone horribly wrong and and she doesn't she oh doesn't. yeah definitely and, and we've we've seen that happen so many times yeah, in the show she as well. doesn't overplay it at all she just speaks it and lets it lie there you know and it yeah she yeah. plays the ball where it lands and it's excellent um she, she really nails that line um so yeah we we get out of that stuff and then back to fucking theon cunting greyjoy um this now in fairness i think thus far the stuff we get with him in this episode is the absolute best stuff he's had and it's the best that he's been um yes but a lot of that is owed to other people it is and i hate him so much (laughs) that it's just kind of polishing a turd for me but and i think in in fairness i hate him so much that i missed a lot of this the first time around or had forgotten about yeah. it because he turns into such a mo- i mean he's already a bell end but he becomes such a monumental bell end by the end of this season yes. that i'm not even interested why he's being such a bell end he's just the bell endiest bell end that there's ever he's such a bell end that fucking quasimodo is swinging from him is how much of a bell end he is by the end of this season like I'm putting that on a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> what? You're such a bell <laughs> the bell end, the bell end, yes, bell end there ever was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I, I'd forgotten as well. I mean, I, I knew that it was, all, it was all related to um, his trip back to you know, his, his big homecoming debacle. I, I knew it was related, but I couldn't remember what caused it. Um, the bit I loved in the scene actually was obviously you've got Yara goading him, which is still ick, and I still wanted to throw up to seeing the two of them on screen together and yeah, acting this, in that way. This is weird. Did, did it feel to you at all like this guy's come in to write this episode, he's read what's gone on in the previous episode and just gone, oh, I've got to make that work. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. And I, I, I mean... She's there goading him. I was still very uncomfortable with but, it, and I think that was the but point. He, um, he makes her rationalise it, which yeah, and that that's the problem. Worse. I mean, I love I her line as well. I wanted to see who you were, yeah. um, and I I thought that line was very good and very powerful. And again, that I, I don't know whether that was in the book or whether it's come from the writer. I think I thought it was brilliant. I think it set the stall nicely. But everything before that line, everything after that line, just made me want to throw Even that up. Line itself, I was just like, look, you can't pretend that that didn't happen now it happened okay so we can all move on let's just forget about it pretend it never happened don't bring us back around to it and try and rationalize it because even i i kind of understand the the notion of i had to see who you were but you know you maybe could have stopped before he had his fingers in you like yeah, I know. There's there's a line. Yes, like okay, if he was just if it was just a bit of over the bra action, they don't wear bras, I guess, do they? In these times, I don't know. I don't know. It's all kind of corsets, corsets and, and fucking, shit. Yeah, but you know, anyway, I you know, second base maybe. Yeah, second, third. I think that's bad yeah, enough. You can you can draw the line there, like. Yeah, third is a step too far. Yes. I'm sorry, but yeah, no. Um, 
but again, and we've talked about scenes of two halves before. Again, this is another one whereby you've got this really uncomfortable sort of sub scene between the two of them, and then immediately, as soon as um, uh, Balan, Balan, yeah, their father, Balan, as soon as yeah. he turns up, they drop it straight away. Um, and you know full well she's been having a good old fucking laugh at Theon's expense with her old man about this. Yeah, and, and you know the stuff. But as as soon as he comes in, there's no, it never happened. Nothing happened. What are you on about? It's that thing with kids whereby you know you you're fighting, and as soon as your parents come in, yeah, no, we're not. not fighting. Yeah, yeah, and you know there is there is some nice stuff for Theon here between him and Yara, mm. and and him and Yara and Balon as well. Um, Dick. There is some nice stuff, and we do scratch the surface of him slightly in that he is the little kid that nobody wants. You know, his family yeah. don't want him. Ned didn't particularly want him, but still looked after him anyway. He's, he's Harry Potter without the lovable charm. He's the bastard who lives under, under the stairs, who nobody wants to yeah. acknowledge. And so it kind of gives you a little bit of an in for him. Um, but like I said, I mean, my note here literally says some nice stuff with Theon and his dad. He's still a fucking cunt, though. <laughs> well, that's it. And if, if you look at his, um, you look at his interactions with Yara. Everything is on the attack. Everything is on the offensive straight the, away. The trouble is, he's and su- no... yeah, he's such an arrogant little prick that I, yeah. and I understand that they're trying to imply that it's a front. And again, credit to the writer. This is the closest anyone's got to yeah. getting that message across. But it's too little and too late at this point. Like, yeah. He is an absolute cockwomble, and there is nothing you can do to rescue him. He is just despicable. That's right, and I mean, I, I, when we get to later seasons, obviously he go he goes on a particular journey as a character. This is a for me, this is a high point of his character. Any sympathy we feel from here is kind of probably the last we get. Um, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So, um, so I mean, the whole. Well, well, I, I was going to say that there's particularly. You know, bearing in mind the discussion we've just had of like his his family don't want him, and we see that here. What that should set up for a logical arc then is for him to stand with the Starks against them, because as much as Ned may have not necessarily needed or wanted him around, he still loved him like a son. Yeah, he treated and him he was fairly. Still he treated him. Rob's brother. Yeah. Um. And so that just makes him even more of a cunt. <laughs> well, that, that's it. And I mean, like this this whole thing, I mean, he goes on, his, on this whole journey and people talk about him going into later seasons and how he, he has certain actions which redeem him. No, they fucking don't. No, he's irredeemable. He's absolutely irredeemable. If if you if you were to if you were to put some sort of graph on as to where he stands on a, on a morality scale, he starts pretty low. He might teeter up about half a degree. Then he plummets down to fucking hell. And maybe so starts climbing out from the ninth circle to the eighth. That's about it. That's his fucking redemption arc. There's nothing there. If he fucking set himself on fire and ran into a room of paedophiles, he would still be irredeemable. He's an absolute cunt. There is mm. no other word for him. And, and he'd be too old for him to fuck as well, so... He, well. Yeah. Um, so let's fucking leave him die in this yeah. ditch somewhere and move on I mean um, to be fair it's, it's not um, it, it's in terms of again in terms of the narrative in terms of getting from A to B with the writing I think it's not a bad scene it's not a bad scene in as much as oh, it's excellent. We, we, we learn a lot about the type of people they are and the, the yeah. type of, sort of people that the um, the Greyjoys are I think that's that's a very useful thing I just think that there's very little about Theon and we, because we're supposed to feel so much for him at this point because even you know, as, as wankerish as he's been all the way through 
as you said, he's the little boy that nobody wants. So he's trying so hard to fit to, to prove his worth to justify. Actually, yes, you let me go. You know, you beat me like a dog and sent me you know, sent me away. You gave me away. That all that sort of stuff is pulling at the heartstrings. Doesn't work because he's a cunt. But yeah. they're, they're trying really hard, and I think the the work that they do with the father to the point where they're eating them. there's almost a point where um, balance of has to think about what, how he responds, and he goes, "Oh fuck, I'm just going to walk away." And that's probably the closest he will ever get to any sort of validation with his father. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's an excellent, excellent scene, and it's excellent for him as a character. And and you're dead right. If he wasn't such an absolute prick, and I didn't hate him as much as I hated him. You know, I'd maybe feel sympathy for him here. Maybe. This is definitely the closest I've come. And that's a real fucking credit. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting... It does move us along quite nicely. And, obviously, things that happen later in this episode will set, it sets up that as well. So, that's quite... Again, it's quite a nice touch. Um, with other writers, I think they'd have sort of skipped over this one or spent a lot of time on this one or skipped over it, but then relied heavily on what the content was later on but not executed it properly. So, I think it's, it's done pretty well. It's handled, handled pretty deftly, I think. It is. It's, it's handled very, very well. Um, it's just a character that I just hate. So... Yeah. And and not in a good way. Like I hate Joffrey in a good way. Yeah. I hate Theon with every fibre in my body. I hate him. Um moving over to a character I don't hate at all. We spend some time with Shay. Um and absolute superb stuff from her, um, between her and Tyrion, where they, they're trying to find a role for her. And her line, I quote, Oh, I'm too stupid to understand. The stupid foreign girl. And then she says very sternly, I am not a kitchen wench. Um, yeah. I fucking love Shay. I love her. She's yeah. great. I, I, I think this was... Um, I mean, she's been... She was, her first episode, her introduction was really good. Um, I thought that worked really well. And then she's not, she's not really been used that well since. Obviously, there's a whole thing of her not supposed to be in King's Landing and she can't do anything and she can't go anywhere. This is probably my favorite episode of hers so far, just because yeah. she's just like fuck this. I could um, I could be back where I came from. She's just a force of nature in this episode. Yeah, I could be back where I came from, whoring it up, and I could have made making a fortune. I'm not a fucking scullery wench. I'm not a handmaiden. What the fuck am I doing? Yeah, she's fantastic, fantastic. Um, and then you know that'll come to to pay off later on in a very very funny scene with her I think um, yes and then we sort of get this this dinner party scene um, and Sophie Turner is really really growing into this role now she is superb in this dinner party scene and it's this is one thing the show does very well and we've said it before um, and and I think you need a confident writer to pull this off but you need a writer who's also got confidence in their cast, in that sometimes the best thing you can do is just have a character say nothing. And that's what you get from her here. It's very, very sparse, but she does a lot of facial acting. She does a lot of reacting here. Um, yeah. And she does it very, very well. Um, yeah. I mean, to, to be fair in the scene as well, I mean, the, I know they say about no, no, never working with children or unpredictable. I think the, the two younger kids, Marcella and Tom, are really good in this scene as well. I think they... they, they Enable Sophie Turner to do a lot of the work that she does um, very well, and obviously, you not know, Ahead is usually faultless. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think that because of the way, because of the nature of the scene, the setup of the scene, I think Sophie Turner has a lot of opportunity to do so well in it. And I think that again, if she hadn't had 
such good work going on around her. I don't think she'd be able to do it so well. I think it would be very ham-fisted and I say that we'd have had more dialogue, which mm-hmm. would have kind of pissed on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It starts with the writing here. The writing is confident and they have confidence in her to just play what's in front of her and she does and she does it very, yeah. very well here. Uh, and then, of course, off the back of that, uh, she goes back to her, her chambers where she's quite upset and her new handmaiden shows up um, yeah. and, of course, it's she. Yeah, who's who doesn't actually know what a handmaiden is, let alone what they fucking do. No, and is absolutely hilarious. I mean, the exchange between them is good anyway, where she clearly doesn't want to be there, doesn't give a fuck, is going to do whatever she wants, has a little bit of a petulant strop, and then there is a point, yeah, where she starts clearing the table away and eats the food, which yeah. had me absolutely <laughs> rolling with laughter. Just yeah. Hilarious. It's one of those little touches that you know probably wasn't even written that's, oh yeah, absolutely. That's that was just, that, I mean, the cast on set going. I feel like she'd eat the food here, so she does. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was really good, and I kind of think that um, this is. I know she clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, Sansa doesn't want her there either. No, she just wants. No, she just wants to be on her own. She's like, well, you're here. You might as well. I've got to put up with you. So fuck it. Just get on with something. And there's a massive concession on Sansa's part, whereby she finishes berating her, and she says, "Well, shall I go?" Yeah, and Sansa so has to think. She's so again. She wants to kick her out. She wants to slap her. She wants to do something. Just no, fuck it. Just brush my hair then, and then you can go. Oh, it's just give us something. It just it sets up as well. I think going forward, I think there's quite a relationship develops between the two of them, isn't there? Is. there? Yes. Um, and I think it's it's it it start because obviously it starts off with them bickering, same as um, Sansa does with Arya in in season one. You kind of get the feeling there's going to be more there because they're going to have to grow into those roles and grow to respect each other and grow to like each other. So, and it's so just looking to see how that happens and what's going to come of that. Yeah, um, it's great. It's a brilliant scene. Very, very funny. Um, as is the next one, but for different reasons. You know, we get Tyrion weaving his web here, um, telling yes, different that's... stories to different people. Yeah, no, I love this, and I, I love so the way it was, it was sort of intercut as well. I thought it was absolutely, absolutely now, perfect. This is, this is one of the first places where I started to write a note about how I, I think the inter, the intercut is a good idea on the page, mm. and you know, my notes that I've written here is that I imagine this works much better on the page. I can I yeah. can see this written down. Yes, and actually, it's I have to be, you know, I have to be very careful. With it, I can't come down it too hard because this is exactly the way that I write. I intercut yeah. frequently uh, in order to keep a scene moving and keep an audience on their toes. So I like that, and I can I can see how it injects pace into the script. Mm. Unfortunately, though, and again, I I'm putting the blame on on the photography here and on the camera department. Like these cuts just don't quite work. The problem is they don't match. And I th- no, the match on actions are wrong. They are, and I, I know they're using it to try and show it's a, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a, they're trying to show it very clearly that actually, you know, it is a different scene. So where you go from uh, Tyrion to Pycelle to Tyrion to Varys, you, they, they're just trying to make it clear that it's a different scene where actually what you want them to do is say, right, it's a fucking static camera, nothing moves, we'll cut on the action, but when we cut back, it's somebody different. Yes. And I mean, I don't normally notice that. Yes, and and they've tried to be a little bit too smart. There are there are too many cuts. Is the problem? Yeah, and I I don't know. I don't normally notice stuff like that, but it really it really sort of jumped out at me it's, today. It's 
clumsy and and it's clumsy and this is why I started writing about the director as well because there is fault on the director yeah, yeah. because he should have realized that he didn't have the coverage when they were shooting it yeah um, he clearly hadn't edited this scene in his head mm. um and and so there is fault there but then there's even more fault on this camera department because they are just all over the fucking line they are and that's the problem they are just cutting around 180s um, there is there's cuts in the frame, I it's it's amateur hour. It, it, it is. looks like a fucking first year student film it, at times. It, it does, and um, I think it's. I mean, it obviously it's there, and obviously obviously people had a, an idea of what they were doing. But if nothing else, right? If you're cutting from Tyrion to Pycelle, to Tyrion to Varys, to Tyrion to Littlefinger, to Tyrion to somebody else, surely the shot was Tyrion. Keep it fucking static, because then you've only got to set up one fucking shot. Yeah. If nothing else, do it for the sake of efficiency. Yeah, or I keep it keep it static. Or to be honest, the I feel like the more stylish way to have played this, and I certainly imagine this is how it was written, and this is why I say I'm, I can imagine it being written better on the page, is you don't bother trying to mask the cuts with Tyrion. Mm. You just inject pace into the scene and score it frenetically and have the cut from Varys to Littlefinger to the Meister and just cut back and forth between Tyrion and themselves and have them questioning Tyrion and Tyrion's response. And don't do it in a block with Littlefinger and a block yeah. with Varys. Cut back and forth constantly between the three. Once you have established that that's what you're doing, then you can play the scene out. I feel like that also conveys what Tyrion is trying to do a lot faster yeah and a lot more smoothly yeah um I, I, so well it, it's just mishandled i i like the concept and like i said i can certainly see how it would play well in the script mm. it's just been very poorly handled yeah unfortunately. for that though with that said um i thought that um the uh, the scene with the meister was something and nothing varus was interesting but the scene with Littlefinger I thought was great because you can just see Littlefinger and you can see the way he's played. You just sort of see the little wheels turning in his head and he thinks that he's being very fucking clever and very he doesn't realise he's yeah. being played. Whereas I think even like even if the others don't at this point, Varys comes to realise very quickly what's going on and he, he he almost applauds it. Whereas Littlefinger thinks he's the fucking bollocks because he's involved in something. And you can just see that this this is a little power graph and if I do something for the hand of the king that nobody else knows about, he'll owe me. Yeah, yeah, and I'll get yeah. fucking Harrenhal, which no, Harrenhal gets mentioned very little in this show. It's mentioned about four fucking times in this episode. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just it, that I thought that was nice. I thought the the way that Littlefinger was um, set out in this one, I thought was really good, and obviously the way we see him later on as a, as a counter to that was really yeah. good as well. Oh yeah, everything that's done here, I like. You know, I like Tyrion's interaction with all of them. I like what it sets up. I like what it says about all of their characters. I just feel like, unfortunately, the scene itself doesn't work. Yeah, um, that's fair. So, moving on, um, I I did not have time to finish my note on this <laughs> next scene. I'll just read it to you. Um, Was it a really short scene or do you have lots of notes? No, um, wasn't a short scene. It's an excellent scene, um, and it was a fairly short note as well. I'll just read it to you. Um, is probably the easier way to do it. Uh, brilliant, back with Marjorie. Natalie Dormer's barely covered, but never mind. They're out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I literally got as far as barely covered, and then it was off. Yeah, it was gone. I mean, okay, I think we, we've missed a little bit there because you get the. Uh, I mean, we saw in season one that um, Renly and Iron Fist are uh, are at it, um, which is a you know, very big secret, which isn't a secret yeah. at all. Everybody knows and all that. But the, again, we've talked about um, the whole sort of male gaze, and it's a very sort of rape culture um, vibe to this show. It even ex- it extends to here, and it's something that's very rarely mm-hmm. done. And where you have homosexual characters, they're normally handled um, either very delicately or um, very very aggressively, but in a way that's kind of cliched. And yeah. you don't get that here. You get this these these two characters who are uh, they're having a moment. They're 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 in bed and they're they're kissing. And then what you get um, Renly trying to move things along. I'm going to call him Iron Fist, I can't remember his fucking name. Is it Loris? Loris, yeah. yeah. So Loris. Tyrell. Tyrell? Yeah, yeah, Tyrell. The Knight of Flowers. Yeah. So he th- Iron Fist. Yeah. So he then turns around, no, not tonight. No, I've got a headache, whatever. Um, turns around and actually, you know, and makes some good, astute political points that actually you know, people are talking about the fact that, you know, you haven't knocked your wife up yet, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, okay, shit happens. Um, but, you know, again, just, just setting the scene for the fact that People are starting to talk. People are starting to think there's something not quite right about him, or not what people expected from him. And then you know, again, they have this you know, this big tiff. And again, um, Renly starts to become a little more assertive, a little more aggressive. Tries to sort of manhandle um, Loris a bit, and Loris just turns around and says, "No, fuck off," and gets up and leaves. And again, I think that it's probably the first time that we see. Um, that 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 this relationship done in that way, where actually you know we we do have this of it's slightly more one sided than we've been led to believe that before it was very much you know, Loris is you know, it's a big it's, it's big enough Randy you know, trying to convince me he's sort of playing him a bit like a puppet and then in this one it's actually Randy's when I'm in charge I'm the fucking man I'm the fucking boss and he's trying yeah. to really assert himself and it doesn't work um, and I think it's in it's it's nice in a way and it's good in a way because we see this so often with the female characters. Where generally they end up getting groped or assaulted or raped and where else? Where actually we think, well, actually people are people, and that does happen across all walks of life. And it's not just so. This, it, it's it's nice to see the show not being so entirely toxic just towards women. Yeah, no, it is. Good. In fact, the the female gaze elements of the show aren't too bad at all uh, in this episode. I feel like the the women are handled very mm. well. Um, so yeah, we we get this scene, and he kind of storms out and says he's going to send his sister in. And what have you? Um, it was as far as threats go, not great. Not great, no. But but in she comes. Like again, I I started writing about how exposed she was in this dress, and it was straight off. Yeah. But again, the way it's handled, it is very much it is her choice. Yes. And she knows why she is doing. Oh it, yeah, she owns and it. She plays it very innocently and very sweetly. Um. In, in fact, I've I've actually written here at one point where she's trying to get him hard. Um, and she, obviously she can't do it and she just says to him very sweetly do you want my brother to come in and help and I've actually written ah bless <laughs> um, <laughs> this is where I've she, do you want my brother to come in and help ah bless her Marjorie's easily my favourite ruthless power crazed bitch yeah and uh, it, it is I mean, I mean obviously we, we will get further as we get further on with these characters we'll find a lot more about them and we'll see them sort of develop and grow as, as a unit um, but his again his face are uh, I don't know what you're talking about. 
I'm not guilty of anything. I'm 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 perfectly straight. I don't need a man in here. What are you talking about? It's a like, this whole thing is. And she sees straight. Yeah, it's, I mean, I mean, the, you, you look at the bond between the two, the two of them as well, between uh, Marjorie and, and Loris. You know full well that he's fucking told her everything anyway. No, he, he, yeah, he, she, she's yeah. the equivalent of his diary. You know, she he, she knows every fucking thing, um, and she she doesn't care. He's like. You can go fuck any blokes you want. I don't care. Just make me queen. Yeah, but but I make feel... me queen. I'll be a good queen. I'll give you a prince. We'll run. and we'll do the work. That's yes. fine. Just let's do what is expected of us. Let's do the bit that we we signed up to do. What we do away from public eye, fucking who cares? Fine. And I think yeah, yeah and, and I, I think I feel like that's yeah, and and that's key to her character. Yes. isn't it? It is very much like this is this is what we need to do, but she doesn't do it in any kind of ruthless underhanded way. Oh, she's very upfront. yet. Yeah, she is very upfront, and and that's why I say she's my fa- my favourite ruthless power-crazed bitch, because, you know, as the season goes on, mm. and as the series goes on, she really will bear her teeth, and oh, she absolutely. can be very nasty. Um, but it's always in a direct way. She never is particularly underhanded or scheming no, in the right. way that Cersei is. Um, and you know, I feel like even here with with Renly, rather than, you know, if if this was Cersei, she would call him everything and she'd humiliate him into having sex with her. Yeah. Whereas she's just gently, gently cajoling him. Yeah. Um. And and you get the impression that you know, ultimately she's not going to care whether it happens or not. She just wants to be queen. Yeah. So you know, um, I like her a lot. Yes. And I will continue to like her a lot. I don't think there's ever a point where I dislike her, which is rare, because most of these characters have at least a moment. I, I think there's where... a wobble in whatever whatever her last season is. Um, I think there's a bit of a wobble there, whereby she kind of... I, mean, I won't go into too much detail, we'll get to it when we get to that episode, but she, there's a kind of a wobble where, the, where her character breaks, and I don't necessarily think they get that right. Yes, I know what you're talking about, actually, yes. There, there is some out-of-character stuff. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't think that works particularly well, but we'll come to that in a couple of years' time. Well, a couple of seasons. Yeah, I, I don't think that makes me hate her so no, 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 much, no. though, as it's just poor handling of her character, which is typical for this show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, love her. Um, I, I will only get to love her more as she, as she grows in power and just becomes bitchier and bitchier. Yeah. Um, but in such, like I say, in such a bitchy upfront way as well. Yeah. Just flat out calling people out to their face. Um, she's great. Yeah. I love her. Um, but that's all to come. Um, so we cut back to another crazy power, power hungry, <laughs> mad woman, um, and Cersei knows already what's been going on yes. with Tyrion. It took no time whatsoever. Yeah, and she's furious about it. Yeah. Um, um, again, I love this scene. I thought the two of them handled it great. brilliantly. Um, yeah. The only thing I found myself struggling with, I was trying to remember who he told Dawn to. So who, which, which one of the three he said about Dawn? Um, and then once I remembered, it was it was Pycelle, that was fine. So yeah, a great scene between the two of them, and, and he plays it. No, you get you get the sense, almost get the sense that it, it, he would want to be telling her. Well, it's not true. I'm just kind of trying to find your spy. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to play but you. He doesn't because it's too much fun for him. But actually, got, yeah. to see you squirm, to see you actually care about something that isn't you, is some. Yeah. It's too delicious for him to leave alone. And I think that that's. Again, the temptation would have been for him to just out himself straight away. Oh, it's not actually happening. I just wanted to remind no, just wanted to remind people I know what's going on. I know yeah. there are spies. I know who's who's loyal to you. I know who's lo- who's not. Um, and I think that it would the temptation would have been there just for him to crow a little bit. 
And the fact he doesn't, and the scene ends with her actually pushing him over, I think was fucking hilarious. I, yeah, and the push is so well handled as well, because obviously she is substantially bigger than him. But the whole scene, she's down on his eye level. She, yeah. She's on her knees. Yeah, until it comes to the push, and then she just yeah. shoves him over so he falls backwards onto the steps. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and she's clearly in the driving seat there. Or yeah. so she thinks, because ultimately, again, he walks away with the upper hand. Yeah. You know, he's she has played right into his hands here. Yeah. Um, yeah, excellent scene. And yeah, I, I thought it was, I think, so. again, the the writing I thought was great in that. And I thought that, I mean, you, you can very rarely fault the performance of the two of them, especially when they're together. But I think the writing was, again, was it was particularly understated. Um, I said the fact that she's on her knees for the whole thing, that she's, she's angry, but you get... You get the impression she's angry, but she's on the verge of breaking down. Yeah. She's on the verge of tears because you couldn't. The one, the one redeeming feature she has, and I think Tyrion called her on this earlier on when we were watching back. No, in this episode, in the last couple of episodes, the one thing that nobody can take away from is how devoted she is to her children. Yes. Yeah. So the fact that actually she's no, she doesn't, she doesn't want to be losing out to Tyrion. She doesn't want him to have the upper hand, but also, you can't send my daughter there. She'll be a prisoner. She'll be a hostage. She'll be used against us. But she will suffer. Yeah. And it's. Again, it's a bit of character we haven't often seen of Cersei. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's excellent, um, very well handled between the two of them. Um, then we're into easily the worst scene of the episode. We've got Theon selling out Rob essentially. Um, yeah, writes him a letter to tell him what's going on, burns it over a candle. Right um, now, look, I, I, if nothing else, like this is the absolute final straw for his character. But oh yeah, this is this is his last no, this is his last chance. Pissed away. But I already hate him, so I'm not surprised by that. So it doesn't what really matter. I really hate about this scene is the composition, and I don't know who thought it was a good idea to just. I'll tell you now. In pitch blackness. <laughs> yeah, it was once I was, I was watching this on my iPad lunchtime. Um, I've got I've come to the conclusion the DVD drive on my computer and work doesn't actually work, so I've had to uh, resort to. Uh, ripping them and sticking on my iPad. So I was watching it and trying to watch something that dark on a screen in a, a daylight office just doesn't fucking work. So that was quite annoying. Um, this scene, interestingly, wasn't in the original um, script. Right. It was It was added. The Originally, the plan was he would write the letter, he would take it, he'd be on the version, the version of handing it over to somebody to get it to Rob, and then he changed his mind. That's much better. But they... Um, yeah, no, there's a quote from um, Brian Cogman, the writer. Now, for all, all the praise we've given him, but I'll read the quote. The burning the letter scene was interesting. It wasn't in our outline, but there was something missing, and ultimately it had to come back to Rob. In our version of the story, Theon is very close to him. He's the brother he never had, and I wanted to take him right up to the point of betraying his own blood. So that's where the warning to Rob's, uh, Rob scene came from. And at first it was more elaborate. He was going to write it, take it to a, 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 a rockery, give it to, uh, give it to a maester. There'd be more of a, um, more of a, uh, a, a section of scenes. But it never worked, so we went with a simple act. Now, it helped Alfie so bloody fantastic in the scene. And that uh, Alex Sarkov directed it as if he directed a huge set piece, meaning he gave it the same time and attention as a big scene. He, d- he did take, uh, take after take with Alfie, trying all kinds of different ways and, got, and reached perfection. I'm sorry, what is this motherfucker smoking? Yeah, now, now some of that, okay, fine. Um, Alfie Allen's performance is as good as it ever is. I, I can't blame Alfie Allen for hating Theon. I hate Theon because I hate Theon as a character. Um, so, so A part of that might actually be credit to Alfie yeah, Allen, it, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. So I, I, can't, I can't knock that. And 
whilst I prefer the idea and of him taking his time and mulling over this and almost mailing the letter, I I understand the visual cue of burning the letter, so I don't have an issue with that. What I have an issue with is shooting the fucking thing like it's a stage play. Yes. Like, why is he sat at a fucking table in inky blackness? Yeah, with a single candle. And the only... Like, your explanation then kind of makes that fall into place for me. I mean, admittedly, you know, as we've said several times, we, we've never had a budget to the level that these guys have, but we, we both of us have been on a film set many times, um, and we've had to think on the fly many times. And this now, with your explanation, absolutely reeks to me of, okay, fuck it, let's just shoot it quickly. Um, where are we going to shoot it? Doesn't matter, just don't light it. Nobody will know. That's what's happened there. I can guarantee it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've got to be honest. I prefer what they'd written um, originally from from what they were saying about the outline. I prefer that. I think. Be, I mean, it, it's a conscious act anyway. He's had, he's had to take the time to write the letter to to contemplate the letter. So whether you no, know, how he doesn't send it doesn't matter. The fact he's gone, he's he's deliberately gone to the point of betraying his family and writing this letter, and then he he's he's been so conflicted over it and ultimately chooses a side. Whichever side you want him to fall on, he chooses our side, and that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know, I just think that having gone to all that trouble of writing the letter, it doesn't matter how he destroyed it or doesn't send it. The act is the same. But I think that the execution of this isn't as good as what they described. Oh, no, definitely not. I, pre- I prefer the other way, but I can I can totally understand the scene. Um, I, I just can't... I, yeah, I, I can't understand the choice behind shooting him against pitch blackness no I mean I don't know whether they I mean given the fact you've had all this clandestine shit with Tyrion in the previous scene or previous scenes and that's where you'd expect the whole cloak and dagger and very dark and um, hidden corners and hushed whispers and stuff like that that's where you'd expect that this scene no fucking knows or cares that he's in Dying Islands apart from so it doesn't really matter if you see that he's in the dining room or a chamber or the throne room or a ship or a beach. Yeah, it could be anywhere. If you want to sell this scene, it makes more sense for him to be writing it in front of a window, looking out over the fleet, for fuck's sake. Because it adds weight to his decision of, no, I'm going to side with the fleet. Like, it's just nonsense. It's utter nonsense. I don't understand it. Somebody made that decision somewhere. Now, it's either... It literally is either they needed to shoot it on the fly quickly and didn't have time to dress a set, or, and I really hope it's not this, but it might very well be, someone somewhere thinks they're being very clever to show that he's sinking deeper and deeper into darkness. Oh, fucking hell, that's like them fucking film theory second year Yeah, trip. but that's this show on occasion, isn't it? See, yeah. see season eight um, and the fate of the Iron Throne. No spoilers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, reading this, the notes on the wiki page, this, again, there's a lot of stuff uh, from Brian Cogman has gone into this page. Um, but they were created specifically for the show. In the books, you jump straightly from Balon saying that he intends to attack the North to um, Theon overseeing the preparation of the attacks. So there's, there's nothing about Jesus, how he comes to that decision. Worse. Yeah, so they've had a fucking blank slate on this fucking one. Fucking hell. They could have done absolutely, literally anything. And... Do you know what? I, I can't, like I say, Theon is beyond redemption for me anyway, but they almost got me there, almost got me there earlier on. Um, mm. Maybe if they'd have just nailed this scene, I, I don't know. I still don't think, 
I'd be singing his praises, but maybe I'd have a little bit more sympathy for him as we go through the show. Because um, I, I genuinely, that scene early, earlier on was the closest I've come to understanding him. Um, hmm. I'd still think he was a cunt, but I just understand him a bit more. But this just pisses on everything. Yeah. This is just like, no, you absolutely are a little cunt. Um, you know, yeah. so I, and it also just and this is really nerdy I know but just from a lighting standpoint did the DOP not at least say hang on there's an open flame there it wouldn't be black like yeah. that wouldn't happen there's a practical light in the scene yeah exactly you have a prac there so they would be some dimly lit corner at least yeah and there'd be a bit of movement in the back way and where candles flicker and shit like that yeah you have a prac on set you can't it oh it's horrible it's just horrible it's amateur <laughs> hour um again yeah. for the second time this episode um so, yeah yeah anyway uh, that's really gonna set me off i fucking hate that that is the absolute worst scene of the show so far bar none Bar none. Yeah. And like I say, I, I don't necessarily put the blame on the writing, and I, I certainly don't put the blame on Alfie Allen. He's just doing what he's fucking told. Sit at the desk, write a letter. Um, I put yeah. the blame squarely on the DOP there for not calling out this bullshit. And ultimately, the director's got to have, again, something to do with it. Um, and at some point, when they're editing it as well, has nobody gone, hang on a minute, why is this so fucking dark? Yeah, but I mean, an editor can only work with what they've got. And well, yeah, but again, we're talking a show with budgets of fucking millions per episode. Yeah, you're telling me there's no fucking no reshoots gone on that, that entire motherfucking show. That's oh no, there absolutely would have been, but this is where again it comes back to the producer and the director, or in TV terms, the writer really, because writer is king. But it's where it comes back to them to say, actually, guys, we've cut this together. I don't think this really works, and they go, no, 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 that's what we want. Someone wants that. Yeah. There's no other excuse for it being there. Someone wants that. Yeah. So I don't know. Like I said, as far as as far as the director goes, he he definitely does more good than bad in this episode because the scenes themselves and the performances are handled very very well. But Jesus Christ, yeah, he can't handle his visuals at all. And I think that is a case of putting entirely too much trust in his camera department. And clearly, the DOP has no fucking clue what the hell he's doing. Um clearly yeah. and that, as i say that is not the first time we'll see this on this show um and it's, it's no. not the last by any means we've we've seen you know earlier on in season one there's some very very flat stuff and towards like later seasons we'll just get utter confusion because things are so dark um yeah horrible it's horrible 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 um let's move on yeah let's move on we we get a see it's like Tyrion comes to to call the meister on his bullshit um great little scene yeah Tyrion absolutely it's the little things and it's obviously been played for it's not been improv because the prop needed yeah. to be there but Tyrion just picking up the whatever it is that little tool and just measuring up <laughs> measuring yes. up the meister's cock with it is hilarious yeah. um absolutely yeah. brilliant um so yeah, we we the meister gets his comeuppance. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion paying the whore as well and coming back and giving her an extra coin. Yeah. Um, very very funny. Yeah. Uh, it turns what could be, 
you know, in the hands of anyone else, that could be quite a sinister scene. And obviously, it's one of those horrible power grabs that happens. Yes. But Tyrion is just so charismatic that he he somehow somehow you just come out of it just glad that he's doing well. Yeah. And even though he has just been an absolute scheming bastard for this whole episode. Yeah. But I mean, he's entertaining while he does it. I mean, as well as I mean, you look at the some of the. The justifications that um, Pycelle tries to throw out. Yeah, I know I did it for your family. I know it was all in the name of the Lannisters. Again, pick your audience, cousin. Yeah, he's he's a Lannister in name only. People know that the family don't want him, and he doesn't want to be there. So you no, know, playing up the fact that you know you do have loyalty to, to to the family, not to the not loyalty to the crown, not loyalty to the queen, or loyalty to the the Lannister family. That's the wrong fucking song to be singing to the wrong to the from the wrong choir. Um, and I think that. If anything, that kind of makes him seem a bit more pathetic because in for everything he's done and everything that has been done around him that he's allowed to happen, he is so dr- he is so drastically missed the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's the same as um, Slint last week. Didn't see the no, he, he he thought they were all his friends and that he was helping them, and when it came to it, they would help him. Neither no, neither of them realized actually they'd fucking throw the dogs as soon as look at you because self preservation is king. And they've just not got that in them. They've not got that instinct, that insight to realise actually they're just another fucking puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a scene that needs to happen, but it's a very good one. Yeah. Um, Again, I really liked a bit with um, Bron cutting his beard off as well. I thought that was really nicely done. I mean, Bron's barely in the scene, but when he is, he's excellent. But I mean, you can generally say that of Bron for the entire fucking show, you know. Yeah. He's brilliant when he pops up, but when he's not there, you don't miss him. No, um, but yeah, he, he's excellent when he's in there, and and yeah, it is that. It's, it's the moment of oh yeah, it's Bron, uh, and then he's gone again. Yeah. Um, moving on to probably my favourite scene. There's been a lot of good scenes in this episode, yeah. um, but we get a scene here between Arya and um, the chap from the the Night's Watch. What's his name? Yoren. Yoren. Okay. Um, and now this really is exceptional writing yeah um it it very clearly means that he's about to meet his sticky end oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's spilling his whole guts to us yeah. um but it's very clever writing in as much as of course it mirrors what Arya's thinking and it gives us as audience members an in to Arya's mind without her speaking in exposition which is what happened so much in season one yeah where it was so clumsy and the only person that was really capable of carrying this off in season one as we said many times was Tyrion mm. and he would do this kind of thing where he would narrate us a story that would mirror what the character he's speaking to is going through um, and so we get that here um, you know and, and you can start to see in Arya's eyes and, and this relies on us having a second watch here so we sort of know what's coming but that's kind of the beauty of doing what we're doing <clears throat> you can see the formation of the list happening here on her face you can and i mean you see i mean um Joran sort of tells the story about how his brother was murdered and the, you know he kept on well, he kept on fo- fixating on the bloke who did it the guy who did it and as soon and as he came back and yeah yeah the, the, the name and what he did um and not what he's going to do to him because that came later. No, that came when he saw him. But the whole thing of I said his name before I went to bed, like a prayer to the gods. And we'll see that with with Arya um, in future seasons. We've seen it with Arya already. She kind of has this. She did this in season one where um, I think it was after she was doing it with Needle, wasn't she? She was. She was she doing was. it with Needle when um, it was after the altercation with Joffrey, where her dialogue yes. had to go away and Sansa's got killed, and. It was Joffrey and Cersei, and uh, yes. I think the Hound might have been on there. The um, on and there, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, she's already started this. She, I don't think she knew why, but she she already knew who she was blaming, who she needed, who she had it in for, effectively. And then the fact that she, you know, she, she then, Yoram puts this idea in her head of just a little prayer to the gods, just a little nudge, just a little nudge. Um, but also, I think there were two really key points to um, to what Yoram tells us that when she says about, no, she see, you know, she sees her father, he says, you didn't fucking see that. I made sure of that. You didn't see anything. You might have yeah. heard it. You might have seen everyone tune. You might have seen what came before and after it. You didn't see his head come off. And she, uh, But then on the back of this, I see them up there. I see Cersei and Joffrey and my sister. And you can sort of see again that they're, they're so they're so in the seed early on. They, they did it last season as well. But they tried to sow this division between the two of them. And then every time they meet over the next couple of seasons, which isn't often, there's an automatic conflict. Yeah. And... Uh, this is kind of where that comes from, where they set that up. Whereby before it was just sister shit. It was you, know, you bought you borrowed my favorite dress. You broke this. You stole that. You said this. It none of it was important. Now all of a sudden she's has it in her mind that Sansa is somehow involved in the death of their father. Yeah. Because she was there and she didn't stop it. Yeah. How she? I mean, obviously, we know Sansa's story is going in some direction. How she should have stopped it, I have no idea. But that's where Arya's head is that she was there. Just like everybody else, and she didn't do anything. Yeah. She did nothing, um, and yeah, you just see the little cogs turning again. I think Maisie you Williams do. is brilliant, excellent um, performance from her, absolutely stunning stuff. And again, credit to the director here. And this is, again, it's not so much a visual thing. Obviously, she's lit very well here, yeah. Um, and he's making the choice to stay with her, but it is this, as I said earlier on, a lot of what the director then doesn't get credit for when people talk about films is they'll talk about her performance but they won't talk about the decision to stay with her while this story's being told we very yeah. rarely cut back to him we stay on Maisie Williams so we, so she, we get to see her performance because yeah. this is actually about Arya this isn't about him and what he went through this is about Arya and it's important that we see her reaction and we see the cogs turn in and yeah. they stay with her for that which is quite a bold move uh, yeah. because the natural instinct is to cut to the person that's talking uh, this is much better to stay with her it makes much more narrative sense it's very very strong stuff and it's excellent yeah, yeah. and it, it almost makes up for the Theon shit earlier almost it, it does and we, we forgot a scene with Theon as well where he kind of gets fucking baptised um, which oh yeah well, why they didn't fucking drown him I don't know look um, yeah but Fuck I mean, Theon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were, there were two two shots I thought were quite interesting, and actually, neither, neither have anything to do with Theon. One is um, Yara, and the look on her face where she's partly disgusted and part of really curious as to what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And I think Gemma Whelan does a pretty good job of you know, smell the fart acting in this one. She has no idea what the fuck is going on. Um, and um, there's a, 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 a headshot of um, Balon where. I, I don't actually I think he's wearing fucking Kylie Minogue's costume from a video where it's just like a fucking half a scarf thrown over his head pulled so tight that his brain's gonna fall out <laughs> and it just it I don't know I just, I just found it really jarring so I, I kept on thinking if that's any tighter it's gonna pull his brain out of his ears it's just gonna start dribbling out the side um, I can't say I even noticed I was probably it just really fucking annoyed me I probably switched off like now you're saying it I remember him being baptised but I I genuinely Case so fucking little for Theon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I've just kind of forgotten that happened already. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think we're at the stage as well where I mean, Yara is not important. I think if if they're trying to position Theon at the stage as being some sort of not protagonist but some sort of you no know, minor lead, 
then she, Yara is automatically positioned as being an antagonist, um, and we we're, we're no, we automatically don't pay that pay that much attention as we go through the show, and she becomes more and more important. I think that she she gets handled a lot better. She gets written for a lot better. And oh, her performance does. is absolutely oh, nail it. And I yeah. think that she, Gemma Whelan, does such a good job with what she's given that when she actually gets given something to do, we everyone's sort of taken by surprise because she has so little to do in the first couple of seasons she's in that when we actually see her doing some really good shit, but oh fucking hell, where'd that come from? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I said when we got introduced to her last week, um, I actually really like Yara, um, hmm. and and as the show goes on, I, I will come to to that realization but here yeah based on what we have here and i remember early on as well most of the time i just didn't understand her um, yeah and and I, I think that's just because we haven't got to know her yet and yeah she hasn't been given the stuff to do uh, we've just seen her in this really sick perverse flirtation with her brother at this point yeah um but yeah she will get better stuff to do and she will grow to become a good character who i like yeah. immensely um yeah so yeah, um, so we get this this scene with with Aya, um, and yeah. then of course uh, the city guard or the king's guard show up, um, and probably line of the episode <laughs> comes here. There's men out there wants to fuck your corpses. Yes, now I remember I, I when I first watched this, I laughed out loud at that point. I literally I was I was I remember it from that from the time, and I was. So I was on my laptop. I was I was doing something. On, I was on the PlayStation on, on on TV, and I remember having to pause it. I was laughing so much I actually started crying. Great line. I had that's why I had to pause my game. It was absolutely perfect. Um, and again, it's delivered so well. And because of the way he's been with Arya, literally seconds before, it just comes out of nowhere, and it's absolutely hilarious. It does. Um, yeah. But it, again, it, it's it's so in keeping with the character. It's, it's this the, the bit in Saving Private Ryan where you got everybody asleep and Tom Hanks and Matt Damon are having the, the conversation whereby he's telling about his past and the whole sort of thing with the bet, where he really opens up. It's the only time you get it in the whole film. That's what this scene is. But then it's straight it's straight back into the action. Something kicks off and he would jolted out of that into some really heavy action. And that's what this this scene reminded me of. Um, and again, the whole thing—he's straight back into his, in, no, his his guard is straight back up. He's back into his character. Get up, you miserable bastards! I said, there's men out there want to fuck your corpses, and he's straight back into that no, really quite acerbic, quite gruff character that we've—we the only time we've not seen him is the scene before. Um, but it works, and then we get it straight away. He's out and tells uh, Gendry and Arya, "Look, whatever happens, just fucking run." Yeah, you could get out of here, go away, run north, go as far as you can, and then keep going. And it's and no, they want they want to stay and fight and no go. Yeah, he knows what's coming. He knows they're all going to get fucking slaughtered. Yeah, he doesn't care. I I I I swore to your father. I knew I would get get keep you safe. Get the fuck out of here. And that's exactly what he does. And he and then he hulks up and he marches out front and he's cock of the walk. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You can fuck off. And then takes a good few of the fuckers out with him. Before he gets quite brutally executed. Yeah, which, as I say, we we knew from, or I think most people, yeah, that that can read a narrative know that he's going to buy it because he's just spilled his whole motivation to us. <laughs> so we know his story is at an end. Um, but yeah, there's there's a few things to pick up on in in this scene. There is yeah that very definite change of pace, which is why the line works. It is ridiculous. Yeah, but it we needed a quick, short, sharp shock to get back into the action, and the line achieves that. It's also credit to him for being able to deliver it. It's another one of those lines like Cat has earlier on that could very easily have been hilarious for all of the wrong reasons. Yeah, 
but it's in keeping with his character and it's delivered very well um so yeah it thrusts us straight into the action um, and then mm. yeah as you say he he squares up to them takes a good few down and again has has another strong contender for best line i mean the last one was so good that it can't yeah. get anywhere near it. But he has another strong contender um, where he di- where he says, I always hated crossbows. They take <laughs> yeah. too long to load before he just starts chopping motherfuckers down left, right and centre. He is utterly badass there. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, he takes the crossbow bolt on the shoulder. You think that's kind of going to be it for him. And he's, uh, again, I always hate the crossbows. You say, you never see him coming or you, you yeah. don't see the guy draw or anything else. And you don't, it's too fucking slow to reload. And then he just, Absolutely unloads on everybody, and he, he takes about four of them out before they realize yeah, actually crack. there's what yeah yeah there's one of him and about ten of us so let's actually do something about it. He takes a fair few of the fuckers out, yeah, yeah. and then they do it, and it's the same way that Bron killed the guy at um at the Moon Door in season one, where they just get the sword and they ram it down the spine, and yeah. just sort of sever it, and you just sort of see the sort of the life does the light go out of the eyes and there's some everything just goes a bit dim in the face, and then when they pull the sword out, it just goes limp. Yeah. And it's a, it's a lovely visual, and it's just fucking horrible to to think about that actual action and what that's doing to the body. Yeah, horrid, horrid. Um, and so then, yeah, we get to spend a little bit of time with them. Obviously, the the chief guy gets his hands on needle and just acts like a complete and utter prick. Um, uh, we, they they take a guy out with with needle. Um, because he's complaining that his he's been cut through the knee and he can't walk. He needs to be carried. Uh, yeah, and now this I thought was really funny. Actually, I bitched for the last two weeks. I didn't know who Lommy Greenhands was. I fucking know now. He's the little kid who got stabbed in the neck. There you go. There because you go. it's in the wiki page that um uh, that uh, um that that Lommy gets stabbed in the neck. There you go then. So that that's so. Which is actually quite important then because um yeah because I uh, thinks on her feet here very very quickly um yeah when she says you you're looking for Gendry you, you just, got him you got him. He loved that helmet, and it turns out yeah. that the guy that's been stabbed in the neck is laying beneath the bull helmet. No, we we saw him pick it up actually when they, yes. when they were um when they were all woken up. You saw him pick it up, and again you kind of you, can't, you because you know, they're all fucking thieves and all the rest. So you, you know you get the impression he's nicking it and he's going to use it to sell Gendry out. Yes, but actually for Arya to come up with that genius instinctively, absolutely phenomenal, and again it shows that her, she's starting to think on her feet and it's all, all the stuff that um, Syria was trying to teach her in the first season about you know, fighting sort of uh, fencing and fighting it's all part of the, a bigger dance yeah. it's not just about how hard you swing a sword or where you stab it's about thinking it's about outthinking your opponent and she does it straight away the other thing she does which is quite pivotal is she gives um, lovely boy uh, an axe yes um, now he's gone Irish this week yeah his accent's all over <laughs> the fucking place isn't it but then again, I, I I do think that's deliberate. I mean, the whole thing of you no, know, we we have we don't know who he is yet. And uh, as it comes I, out, so maybe it. that's I'm not maybe that's it. part of it, or maybe he just forgot what fucking voice. Yeah, he's I'm not speak. buying it. I'm not fucking um, buying it. No, the thing that I didn't buy, right? He's now come here, lovely boy, and all the rest of it. But in Irish, because I can't do Irish, uh, a, a man can fight. Give me that hatchet. So she passes the hatchet through the door, and instead of using it to break the lock, he gives it to one of the other fucking psychos in the cage with him. Yeah, not the cleverest thing. And it? then has a little bit of a smile, as a bit of a smile as Arya walks off. Now, I'm not being funny. What sort of fucking idiot is he that he gives these psychos an axe when realistically they're probably going to stick it in the back of his head? Yeah, not the brightest. Now, I, I, I know he, you know, I know he can fight and all the rest of it, but not the not the smartest movie he could have made. No. 
Not really. And again, there's no point to it because we we don't see that they don't do anything. No, in I, that episode, I kept expecting them to pop up towards the end. Well, that's it. There's, there's this fight going on. You kind of expect them to do something. I mean, the whole thing with um, Jack and Hagar, he will come out and do something because he, he's been introduced now. We know who he is. Yeah. Okay. We know. We, no, we, we've been introduced. We don't know who he actually is, but we've seen him do stuff, and we've it's been alluded to the fact that he's very dangerous and he can fight and all the rest of it. So, what is the point in going to the going to all that trouble of her releasing him if we're not going to see it? Yeah, yeah. I, I I couldn't quite understand why they didn't throw down either, but I guess yeah, they need to live to fight another day, don't they? Particularly Jack and Hagar because he's going to become very important to Arya's story. Yes. Um, and, of course, in order for them to do that, if they were to live to fight another day, they would have to take out all of the guard, which would remove the threat from the scene. So I guess they're kind of written slightly into a corner. Um, but in that case, just ignore them altogether. Just leave the fucking cat, leave, leave that cage there. Just leave it on the side. We don't have to show them. We don't have to see them. We don't have to go to the trouble of releasing them. I agree. I agree. It is uh, a poor go. execution of Chekhov's gun theory. Um, but there you go. That's Game of Thrones all over for you. Yeah, I mean, as a scene as well, I'm just reading the um, the information on it again. I mean, the scene had to be redesigned from the book because um, there was a, a look. They, they couldn't use a, they couldn't use a location they had um, or they had lined up for, from the book. It was it would have been too long. They had restraints on the child actors because obviously quite a lot of children in it. And in the end, they kind of kind of went with what they had, not with what they could get away with. And I'd love to see what it was. I mean, the the, the, the original draft script for this episode was over three hours long. Jesus. So I would love to see, I would love to see what's in that that made it so big. I mean, there's um, apparently it opened with a big fight scene between John and Craster, um, where John gets his ass kicked. Um, so the whole bit we haven't seen and we talked about before um, at the start of the episode about you know you, you start with it in the middle of the scene. That's kind of that was all written, and then there was lots more written at the dinner table. There's a lot a lot more written with um, Renly and um, Marjorie and Renly, uh, Renly and Brienne and all the rest of it. That was all. Uh, there was a lot of expansion on that as well, which didn't make it into the episode. And I think at the end, I think would have been critical because I think there would have been a lot more idea of how they were going to move certainly Arya and Gendry along, and then possibly bring in the others. Um, but it didn't make it through. Well, again, in that case, I say credit to the director. Um, now, obviously, a big part of that would have been budgetary, um, but certainly we don't need to see the fight between John and Craster. The opening is no. there is there is an economy to the storytelling in this episode that is very rare in this series, and I appreciate it greatly. Um, we get all of the information we need out of these scenes, and then we move on. We get no more. We just get everything that we need, and then we move on. Yeah, and it works because of it. And if this show did yeah. that more regularly. It would be a much, much tighter show. And ultimately, yeah. I think they'd have found themselves in a much stronger position to wrap things up at the end because they probably would have had a better idea of who these characters are and where they're supposed to be going instead of wandering around aimlessly. Yeah. Just my two cents on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I'm i sure there's some good stuff in there in that three-hour script. Um, I don't think I need it. Certainly, don't miss it. No, I think I'd be interested more than anything else. I think oh, I'd certainly uh... be interested to read it, but um, this episode doesn't need it. Doesn't need any more. No, no, absolutely. And I think that if anything, we'd probably get too much of bloody Theon. Oh yeah, well, fuck that. Then. Well, we've already had too much of Theon, so yeah, yeah. we'd have even fucking more. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, uh, that kind of naturally leads me on to summation. My my summation this week is only three lines, um, and I kind of already hit it at the start. Just this is a. 
a very good episode. Uh, it's the most confident writing we've seen. Um, yeah. And it's poorly shot, but it's well written and directed. So all in all, it's I think the second best episode to date, personally. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's that's probably kind of where I am as well. I mean, I, I was very happy to see certain characters. I was very happy to see um, Brienne appear. I was very happy to see Marjorie appear, um, just because they they add some new dimension. I mean, we've we talked about um, last week whereby. They kill once Ned Stark died. There was kind of a, a vacuum mm-hmm. in terms of how the other story they were telling, and that they, they kind of just tried to fill by by making other scenes to other characters we've already met too big. Yeah, and I think by actually introducing some new blood, finally, I think they've actually got to a point where they've gone right. Okay, we can move on from that. Now Sherlock Stark is dead. Yeah. So let's let's actually tell the story we're supposed to be telling because that bit it's a good start, but it's not as important going forward is what we need to do next and so we need new people to do that we've just talk, we've started to talk about dawn we've you know we've just introduced this to the wider Terrell family as opposed to just um, iron fist so we need to actually build on that we need to start playing on that and yeah i think that was that was a very important thing for me um, also i love wendley christie i think she does a fantastic job um and yeah she's you know, I've, I've got a soft spot because she's a giant like me so uh yeah just Warms, warms the uh, warms the cockles to see her getting in there and kicking the kicking iron fist sauce. Yeah, I I think you know I, I don't think there's a a person listening to this or a person who's watched this show that doesn't love Brienne. I, I think she is resoundingly just one of everyone's favorite characters. So yeah. it's great that she's finally here. She'll have lots to do over the next sort of six and a bit seasons. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's great that she's here. For me, yeah, I'm overjoyed to see Marjorie. I really do like her a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like I feel like it's starting to become the show that I remembered the most fondly. If you like, then this is this is the stuff that I remember really liking. Um, yeah. And whereas I thought I really liked season one, in hindsight, and then we went back and watched it, and I realised actually I didn't. It's pretty fucking bad. Um, Based on the strength of this episode and seeing those characters again, I'm hopeful for the rest of season two. So yeah. I say bring on next week. I'm quite excited to watch the next episode. I hope to God it doesn't disappoint me. Um, <laughs> I, I think you know what's going to happen next, don't you? Uh, I, yeah, next week I'm going to do nothing but rant and rave. Um, yeah, But, you know, just, just to peek behind the curtain slightly, like as, as I've said several times before, this is my first rewatch. And so this is only the second time that I have seen all of these episodes and so much of it is lost in time to me. Like I know where the show goes and I know the broader strokes. I have no idea what actually happens next week. And I have no idea about the minutiae of characters' movements and things like that. So some of it is quite fresh to me and I've left this episode on a high. So I'm really excited to see what happens next week. I hope they don't let me down. Well, I'm optimistic, so I've got a very brief blurb of it um, uh, up on screen now. And so the next episode is called Garden of Bones. Um, it's the fourth episode of the second season of HBO's Medieval Fantasy Television's Game of Thrones. The episode is written by Vanessa Taylor and directed by David Petrarca. So showrunners know we're fucking near it. Good. I'm optimistic. Excellent. I, I'm, I'm already optimistic. Um, but yeah, we'll, also we'll go into that in uh, a lot of detail next yeah. week. Um but yeah, I'm, I, I was saying I thought this was a good episode. Um, I was quite happy, and yeah, I'm leaving it in a good place. So um, yeah, bring on next yeah. week. Um, 
as always, if you want to discuss anything we've just talked about, um, or if you want to send us a lens tip and shit like that, because we need it, feel free. Um, but yeah, get in touch. Um, you can email us, gom at ddpodcast.net. You can find us on Facebook with the Level Podcast Network, on Twitter at ddpodcast.net. Um, but yeah, get in touch. That's not what you think. Um, as always, any any chat you want to have, bring it on. We're, we're, we're always down for that. But until next time. Game over. Just That was terrible this week. My voice, my voice isn't up to it. Just so you know, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. Yeah, I'm not doing it again. See you guys. Bye.